Welcome to season six of the RAG podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. And this show has been around since early 2019. And every week, we are obsessed with finding out how the world's most successful and innovative recruitment agencies and their founders have got to where they are today. In season six, alongside the founder's story and the inside information of that business, I also want to focus on the reality of today's economy. There is so much noise about this inevitable recession that we find ourselves in right now. And where it's going to go, is it really having an impact on the recruitment sector? Are they seeing any change in job flow? Are they seeing any change in candidate control or activity? What is going on? I want to find out. So every single week, I want to forget the propaganda, forget the noise. I'm going to speak to a real life recruitment owner and find out what is going on in their business. I will bring it to you every single Wednesday from 12 o'clock across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. On this week's show, I am delighted to welcome back a previous guest, one of the most listened to episodes I ever recorded with David Spencer Percival, known as DSP. David is the founder of Life Science People, a specialist life science people recruitment firm headquartered in London with offices in LA. They've got over 85 heads. Um, they're only a couple, two and a half years old, started in September 2020. I interviewed David in November 21, where he'd grown to 65 in 11 months. Um, we'd also talked about his story before. He was the founder. It was, it was part of a number of businesses. Um, I believe it was, um, they, it was it was Spencer Ogden that he's most famous for, but he was also involved in, in other businesses where he two of them he'd got to 100 million in growth and, and over 500 staff. So he knows his stuff. The reason we brought him on this week was to talk about the reality of the recession right now. When we interviewed in November 21, the market was going mega. There was deals going in for fun. It was an easy place to make money. They were growing, growing, growing. By September 22, the whole market changed. He explains how Perm fell off a cliff and it was only because of contract revenue that kept them alive. Um, and they started to swing from a couple of hundred grand a month EBITDA to losing a couple of hundred. He lost 800,000 in three months at the end of 2022. They're now seeing a change. There's, there's some positive signs. But David, in this episode, talks about launching the US office just before the pandemic, the, not the pandemic, the, the recession hit and the impact of that. Um, he talks about how he kept himself sane and focused and positive despite confidence dropping all over the place how he's managed to work with a whole team of rookies bearing in mind his whole model is based on academy graduates and bringing them through and keeping a lot of these guys and making money in such a tough market um and we also talked about what he sees happening and predictions for the future so if you're experiencing some difficult times right now at the end of may 2022 if you're sorry 2023 god i don't know what day it is but if you are suffering and you're feeling that this, you know, the market's a little bit turbulent, listen to David. You'll get some real uh, quality information that you can action. So enjoy it. Without further ado, David, welcome back to the RAG podcast. Good to be back, Sean. Good to see you. I know. 18 months gone quick. I can't believe it's been 18 months. In some ways, it's gone quick. In some ways, it's gone really slow. True, true. I'm trying to look more like you, David, as you know. Yeah, time. I can see you've got a, a new this haircut. Is, and, uh, this is only know, seven, seven months of hair growth, you see. So when, <laughs> in 18 more months, it'll be, I'll be like Jesus. <laughs> That's a good look. How have you been anyway? How's life? 
Yeah, life's good. I mean, I, you know, it's been a fairly challenging uh, time in recruitment terms, but uh, yeah, we're battling on. I've, uh, it's not my first rodeo, Sean. I've been through it before. No, I'm sure. We So to set the scene, we had an interview in November 2021. Yeah. Um, and at the time, there's no denying the market was probably the best it's ever been. It was bonkers. Frothy, I think we'll call it. Yeah. yeah. And you guys were, within a year, you'd grown to 65 heads. Yeah, you'd um, you'd seen insane growth, and um, and yeah, the, I mean, the, the, there's no denying that the horizon was pretty good for not just for you, for everyone, but you yeah, guys yeah. had really. You talked about how you'd invested, you know, upwards of a million pound in the business. You you know you yep. were on the way to becoming profitable, and it was just becoming, you know, it's a real, it was an engine starting to build. So do us a favor and take us back to that moment before that. Just tell us who you are again. So if anyone didn't listen to episode one, doesn't know David yep. Spencer, first of all, who are you and what is the business? Like, what is Life Science People? So, um, well, previously to uh, recruitment companies, start up to 100 million, 500 staff, both sold to private equity. Um, current business set up in Life Sciences, um, fairly decent uh, investment for myself. Uh, and yeah, hitting a market that was relatively benign with regards to competition and we went in very hard very strong very quickly in what was a very good market yeah yeah so you launched what was it early end of 2020 yeah we're two and a half years in in so i think it was september 2021 20, that is a bonkers time to start in, in reality <laughs> that was, well yeah it was it was post covid in between lockups i mean it was pretty uh pretty tricky time to start good time looking back well, I remember. Look, we we at the t we talked about it in 2021. We went to we, you how you handpicked certain people. You know, you went yeah. out and headhunted the best of the best, as you said it, and, and got them yeah. in. I've since been out to your LA and and met with Dan. That's and, right. and had, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had a good few beers and saw the office. And I couldn't believe his rent. If I'm honest, I think he was telling me it was like seven and a half thousand dollar a month rent. And I was like, we got we got a good deal. <laughs> no, I don't mean. I meant his personal rent, his house rent. Oh um, my God, it's expensive yeah, living like, in LA. Yeah. Him and his wife, and I think he's got a little girl or so. They're playing, yeah. living in a condo, and it was seven and a half thousand dollars a month rent. I know, LA is expensive. Like, yeah. Fucking hell. I was like, wow. Yeah. That'd uh, put me off, I think, living in LA. But um, so where's the business at right now? And then let's go back to. Yeah, so um, we're about 85 going to 100 now. So relatively pedestrian growth since last time. I mean, I guess the backdrop of a. Quite a, 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 sh a fast recruitment recession that hit. I think if we take it back to probably September, I think that's when all the indicators was the market was going to take a bit of a dip. See, up until that point, you know, the trajectory was rocket ship. And then once you see all those indicators coming in, I mean, you have to work fairly fast into, you know, making sure your business is, is ready for a bit of a downturn. I mean, when I look back, it's interesting, you know, <clears throat> flying high through that summer, opened Los Angeles, put a million dollars into it. And then by September, it was very clear, very quickly, that there'd been this sort of massive overhiring post-COVID, uh, resulting in a lot of wage inflation. And then suddenly all the tech companies started to shed like hundreds of thousands of jobs. I think everybody got really nervous and sort of stopped hiring and tried to digest all this enormous amount of hiring that they'd done. Yeah. And of course, the knock-on effect is instantly into, into a recruitment market. And you just see all the indicators, all your, you know, all your KPIs, you know, perm gets hit, you know, the jobs start to go down, the time to fill gets longer, the percentage of fill rate goes down. It's all there, you know, P 
people aren't moving because they're a bit worried about the market. Salaries aren't getting the big wage inflation they were getting. It was all there to see. So if you, if you see it, it's how quickly you react to it. That's the trick. Right. So let's go back then. So yeah, you mentioned the US. and So going into, let's say, January 22, if you remember. Yeah. yeah. Start of last year. Yes. What were your... What what did the business look like in terms of like? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we were going. What were your plans for that year? So the first year's turnover, which was the year before, was about seven million, and then we finished on about seventeen million on the second year. Wow! And even this year, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna comfortably hit twenty two, twenty three million turnover. You know, fees are gonna go from sort of you know sevens to tens. We had budgeted for twelve, but I think everyone had to just rebudget and re reconsider what they were doing. And just kind of like flatten the curve a bit as as we went into a, 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 certainly a more difficult market. Um, and, you know, just take a bit of a breath, really, because you can't just keep putting your foot on the pedal if the market isn't sustaining it. In a good market, you push, you push, you push, you push. When it starts to get a bit more challenging, you have to kind of like take a bit of stock, really. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what what, what we did. So we you, mentioned, the- you mentioned that you had like a, you have a strategy, don't you, for like, I do. I forget how many quarter, how many hires you have a quarter. Like there was like a quarterly grad intake. Well, at the moment, we we hiring fifteen a quarter, and then as you go through the years, you do fifteen every two months, then fifteen every month, then fifteen every two weeks. It's a right. it's a flywheel that gets you to five hundred people um, in a sort of five to seven year period. <clears throat> um, but if there is a recruitment recession in that period, um, you adjust. And it, uh, fundamentally, it sets you back a year. Any kind of like wobble in the market, but just it just puts you back, which is a shame because you know you're flying, but you you have to have the market behind you. So why did you start the US? I took us back to when it when the market was still positive. We'll get yes. to the recession in a minute, but pre yeah. pre recession chat, early twenty two, things are good. What was your horizon for the year? Well, the, well, the thought behind it was, you know, it appeared very um, clearly to us that there was a, a huge amount of life sciences on the west coast of America. More, you know, East Coast, this all life science hubs really in Boston and New York and going down to Miami. But a lot of a lot of business was being done in California. And so we thought, you know, this could be our entry into a market. The fees were bigger. Um, there was a lot of successful people and actually UK companies doing quite well over there. So we felt we needed to be in the market. You know, we we're flying high. We we're making really good profits. You know, we we're on, on track to, to, to make a couple of million EBITDA. Um, so it was it was the right time. Looking back, it wasn't the right time. But at the time we did it, it was the right decision to make. Yeah. The problem is we entered that US market, took a load of people from the UK, which sort of left a bit of a hole there anyway, put them into a US market just at the time it started to go. But, you know, the choice is you either pull back from that or you continue. And I think my feeling was it was a risk to continue, but I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, and timing wasn't great you know in america you've got sort of thanksgiving that carries on into christmas and then the new year you know it's not a great time to start start up a business so we had a lot of forces against us and we had some pretty tricky times and we were pumping you know a couple of hundred thousand dollars a month over to america but now you know we spent a million dollars we've made about a million and a half dollars in fees. Um, and also it's unfunded as well. In the UK, you get an ID line, you draw down on your on your, on your your invoices. You don't have that in America. No one funds you until you start to get some history of, of trading. So it was all unfunded, wrong time of the market, but we managed to trade through it. And we're actually, last two months have been profitable in the US. But yeah, it was touch and go, really tricky. 
what goes into setting up a US office? Like, how, well, what, God, if wants to do it, it's, what is nice it? Culture. I mean, the first thing you have to do is you, you have to create the company. You have to uh, apply for an investment visa. So if you get an investment visa, you put a million dollars into America, they give you 10 or 12 visas that are really easy to get for expats to go over. Hmm. There's a lot of legal setting up bank accounts. I mean, it's utter torture. It takes about anywhere between three to six months to set up. Then you have to do all the packages of the people going. Then you have to get them in country. You have to lend them money for deposits, cars. I mean, it's it's pretty full on. And then you start trading with nothing. No clients, no database, no office. <laughs> did, you have any, yeah. did you have any clients that you've done a few things with from the UK? Or we, we had, yeah. I mean, we had a bit bit of action there, but but not masses. But the market was, you know, absolutely white hot over there when we, when we hit it. Yeah, I bet. You know, I've been over there two or three times to interview locals, you know, many, many million dollar year billers over there in in our our sector. Um, Very highly paid, though. I mean, they're really, really well paid over there because it's expensive to live in LA. So graduate salaries are like... Yeah. So we, you know, we... we, It was strategically the right thing to do. I'm not sure the timing was particularly clever, but, um, you know, we're there now. We're we're established and we're we're cracking on. When it comes to the US did like how much support did you need to do it and what did you get how did you go out and do it did you get like a is a consultancy use or anything like that yeah you outsource um a lot of the heavy lifting on the legals and the setups and stuff I mean you need a broker that does all of that for you I mean but you know my FD uh Brad had, had worked in America and set up companies over there I'd set up the, you know the Spencer Ogden offices in America so you know you, you sort of you have knowledge in house but you still there's an awful lot of, of, of legals and finance stuff you have to go through. It's not it's not easy. It's it's you know it's relatively complex and it's and it's bloody expensive. I don't doubt that. It's uh it's one of those things, the US market, right? It's it's full of stories in the UK from people that say, you know, go out there and you just print money, you just double your billings. You, know, you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> you can it's also a gravy for UK recruiters. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, they say, you know, 250 grand biller here does 500,000, 600,000 yeah. dollars there yeah. by just moving, just by just yeah. by being in a different place. Would you agree with that? Or? Well, the fees are much higher. You know, the average fee over there is $30,000. You know, the average fee here is probably half that. Yeah. Um, however, they're very well paid. You know, they a graduate in the US is sort of sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars a year. A graduate here is twenty-five thousand pounds a year. There's a massive difference. Also, they're split between one hundred and eighty recruiters and BD. You know, our model is three hundred and sixty. We're, we're hustlers in this country. Over there, it's, it's a very sort almost like an HR job. Um, so there are some idiosyncrasies that you have to understand. But yes, the market is big. They don't mind paying big fees, big percentages. It's there, but the expense comes with it. So it's not, it, you know, if you only look at one side of it, you go, yeah, so you know, the land of milk and honey, but uh, it's it's quite costly. So if you're a recruiter, if you're a recruiter going out there, you'll get a good salary. You'll do big fees. Oh, yeah, so get good comms, go and yeah. do it. But if you're absolutely, you know, the weather's brilliant. Um, what when it comes to that 360 and 180 argument then that, that, that you know the way it's set up did you go out there and yeah. mirror the way you work here or did you, well, you, can, you, the you can do hybrid you know at the end of the day you know uk recruiters predominantly are 360 recruiters yeah. uh, arguably the best recruiters in the world i mean they're real hustlers 
in the States, you're, you know, you have a BD job or, and you have a delivery job. It's very, very defined and very well-trodden path. But you can do a hybrid. And that's what we sort of tend to do in America. But as you build to scale, you are much more building to their model than your model. So in the beginning, to get things going, to get you started, you know, you, your expats are your, you know, they, they generate cash a lot quicker. Yeah. Over time, you know, you are definitely, you know, you have clients facing and you have candidate. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so got the US off the ground yep. around the summertime of 2021. Yeah. Um, when was the earliest? Can you can you go back to the earliest sign the market was turning? Yeah, was September. It, and was it internal or was it external conversation? Where did you first spot the reality well, I, of change? I spotted it, and it, all my all my crew thought I was completely insane. I said, "It's happening." They went, "No, nah, it's fine. Yeah, it's great." Yeah. I said, "I I can see because you know, I track KPIs so carefully that any drop at the front end of all your KPIs, so you know, contact." clients jobs and then you see it stretch from jobs to interview from interview to placement you know i can see it probably a couple of months before other people can because i've been doing it for such a long time it's just intrinsic and then it's you have to persuade everybody else that this is this is real therefore you've gone from a candidate driven market to a client driven market but this one i have to tell you sure this was fast yeah. i mean this just went like that and across all markets as well. It wasn't just uh, life science is fairly resilient. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, it was hit hard, you know, fintech yeah. or something like that. It's tough. Um, but when you see it, it's it's not it's not seeing it, it's what you do about it. Yeah, yeah. But so you have to realign the entire staff, make them understand this is not the market you're in, this is a new world. And some people have been recruiting through a recession, you know, it takes four, five, six, seven years to go through a dip. But when you hit it, you just have to act really quick and it's seeing it first then reacting to it, and then the real trick is how you get out of it and and, and invest and grow on the bit that's going up, which so arguably... One of, biggest, one of the biggest things that everyone said in the last six months is, oh, last 10 months probably, is yeah. that, look, our industry is full, and your business will be even more so because of the way you, you hire, is yeah. full of people without the experience pre-boom. Pre, yeah. pre so they've not had the... The, the time or the experience or the need to do out yeah. go and do BD and, and build those skills. I'm actually running a session next Tuesday on link about how LinkedIn through BD can be massively impacted. Yeah. Because it's that it's just so desperate right now. Yeah. So let's have a look at what you like you you sat there in September seeing the signs. You've got to convince people it's changing, which I imagine is more you see in your leadership layer. That's the whole stuff. It's the whole right. floor. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're too... people who don't know what that means anyway. If they've not been in recruitment, your business isn't even old enough to yeah, have well, had the experience before. I was very specific to the entire sales floors. What is going to happen? You know, it will not be as easy to do deals. You're going to have to work harder, smarter, faster. You're going to have to um, create more urgency. You're going to have to find new clients. You're going to have to understand that all those easy deals you were doing, and let's face it, it was really... You know, <laughs> I wouldn't say any idiot could make money in recruitment back then, but more or less, um, it was it was an easy market. You know, there were lots of jobs and there were lots of candidates because it's post-COVID. So it was like a golden age. When that turns, it's just explaining to people, you know, this job isn't easy. And, and, and more importantly, if you trade through a bad market, you become a really good recruiter. You're really, really good. You're really seasoned. You know what the job entails and you can capitalize on the upside. 
but it's not for everybody. You know, we, we lost people along the way who just said, oh, this is just not what I thought it would be. This is too tough. So when the pressure gets going and everybody says, ah, oh, this is not as easy as I thought it would be, you know, deals dropping, offers dropping, candidates turning it down, not getting enough jobs. I mean, you know, it happens fast. Some people just can't cut it. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I get it. But when you, all you get left with is a core team that know what we're doing, know what the market is, and they battle and trade through it. And that, when you come out the other side, is your, is your core management team. Are you spending hours on LinkedIn and cold outreach and want more business coming to you over your competition? Well, if you're the founder or leader of a recruitment agency, here's what we can do for you. At Hoxo, we'll give you the training, support and resources to take you from what I call an offline recruiter, reliant on posting jobs and sending in mails to open up new customers, ultimately looking like every other recruiter on LinkedIn, to being an online recruiter, being seen by over 25,000 relevant people, driving a 200% minimum increase in engagement on your profile and seeing daily lead lists from LinkedIn that you can follow up with in six weeks time. And if you don't perform, you don't pay. Now, why can we make such a bold results-driven promise like this? Well, it's simple. There's two reasons. Firstly, whilst I've been building the RAG podcast, we've actually done what we say we'll do for our clients. In less than two years, we actually built a business generating from zero to over 1 million views per month on LinkedIn, leading to multi-million pound revenues with a sales team of me plus two people without making a single outbound cold call. Second is our track record. Not only have we done it ourselves, but we've helped over 350 agencies and over 4,000 consultants do it as well, all in the last three years. Now, if that sounds of interest to you, click the link associated to this episode and we can book a call and tell you how we can help. Right, let's get back to the show. So when it comes to those juniors then, is there yeah. any more, and again, I, don't, I know you're probably not as involved in all the tactics, but like, what did you guys do to ensure that these guys have the skills to do it? Because you'd well, be your seniors, to... you'd expect, but the, the juniors, what what training well, we got... or advice? Yeah, it's, give them? It's, it's all training. You know, they go through an academy, um, but the trainers would then deployed away from academies into the into the sales floor to coach people how to work in a difficult market. Um, and that's that's all you can do. Even so, some people won't make it. I mean, you have to lower your standards a little bit. You know, and during this time, by the way, you know, you're, you're eating money. I mean, I know many, many recruitment companies that were making 500,000 a month EBITDA dropping to minus 200K a month very quickly because Perm just collapsed. Yeah. And then they're starting to, you know, unless you've got a very strong balance sheet, you're sort of struggling a bit, you know, for cash, as, as will any company going through any kind of recruitment session that's not massive and, and works quickly to reduce the costs. Because your cost of recruitment fundamentally are your staff costs. Yeah. I mean, you can't change your leases. You can't really change some of the software licenses you've got because you signed up for two or three years. I mean, all you can do is work with, you know, you either, you either trade your way out with sales or you cut your costs. You try to sort of do a little bit of both. Yeah, both yeah. Um, but when it comes to the actual people that you've got, then you have to make sure you fastly, you know, fast train them into the new market. You know, there's still business there because don't forget all your competitors are going through the same thing. And a lot of them are falling by the wayside. Mm. So when you emerge out the other end, you have less competitors, better market, better skilled recruiters, but you are definitely sort of, you know, not the shape you were. Was there anything specific you got people to do that they weren't doing before? Just yeah, really just, basic, specific all, stuff. It was all about finding jobs. At the end of the day, we run a fundamentally simple model. You know, it's a set of KPIs. If you do them consistently, 
consistently is the word. If you do it consistently, you do them all at the same time, you will make money. But if you're missing the front bit, there's no point speaking to candidates all day unless you kind of get leads for the market. If you fundamentally haven't picked up jobs and enough of them, I mean, fill rate in any recruitment company, 20, 25%. So you pick up five jobs, you're going to fill one. So if you haven't got five jobs, you're not going to do a deal. It's really simple. So it was all about how do we find the qualified job? I mean, qualification of jobs. I mean, all these sorts of basics that everyone knows that you end up, you know, you've got 100 jobs on the system that, that you're never going to fill. So get, get rid of all the rubbish, start to work on qualified jobs where you know you've got commitment, qualify the candidates, make the deal happen because you, it's a numbers game. So if you're yeah. picking up jobs, good jobs, qualified jobs, you have a significantly better chance of making it through. But people just seem to, they just get lost in the rabbit in the headlights. Like, well, hold on a minute, I was talking to candidates the other day. Yeah, the market's changed. It's, it's gone that way. So, you know, get with it. That's 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 the trick. How much patience do you apply to people in terms of... Like, <laughs> like, uh, I, personally, I, I don't have a lot of patience, but you have to have patience. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, three months in, you would hope someone starts to generate money. I mean, the real, you know, the truth of the matter is it takes a long time to get ROI on a graduate. What's your alternative? You hire experienced people. Well, you can't find them. 50% of them don't work out. So you have to do both. You have to have some academies with graduates because that's your future build. And you try to slot in some experienced people and hope that they come in, you know, and, and, and do what they say they're going to do. Uh, or you don't grow. But if you don't grow, your natural attrition of people leaving are just going to cut your company down anyway. So you, it, you've got to keep moving all the time, even through a recruitment recession. So time to bill, you know, yeah, it gets longer um, in a bad market. It does in a good market. But, you know, if you have a good performance management process where you say, look, at this point, you really should be doing some deals. And if you're not, a lot of other companies will just literally go, oh, my God, let's cut the cost. Let's get rid of those people. Or you say, look, we'll take you through a training program, performance management, month on month, month on month, to get you to where you want to be. If you're not getting to where you want to be after two or three months, we have to part company. This is, you know, We're in sales. This is, this, is, this is what we do. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's frustrating. But, you know, half the people emerge like, oh, my God, I get it. I can do this. And half of them don't, you know, that's, yeah. just, that's just recruitment. You know, it's tough. Yeah. But you give people enough time, but not too much. Ultimately. So you're talking about, yeah, so you're going into that recession, you're like, everyone's on a, you know, depending on where they already are, if yeah. you go into performance management, we're talking a couple of months to get through it. And and like yeah. you say, it depends yeah. on how they react to that. Yeah. And as I say, you know, when you get, you know, first thing we did, you know, we've got 15 people on performance management immediately. Because the, the, the statistics going back weren't, weren't good enough to make it through the market. And, you know, with any company, you know, you've got 300 people in a company, 500 people or whatever. You have to go through a moment where you say, if we lose 30% of our staff, we're going to save the other 70%. You know, it's not, no one wants yeah. to do anything. But, you know, you can't carry through a recession. Otherwise, you'll pull the whole thing down. Yeah. And that's what people have to understand. And it's, it's tough. And know, again... I mean, look, employees are going to see it from their perspective, and I get it. Um, we've all been employees at some point. Absolutely. Talk, this, this show's about being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, and, and you know, you, you have to make those decisions. There's things you have to do, you know, and you don't, ex you don't expect everyone's going to agree or understand, but you've no, got I'm to sure, I'm sure they don't. But, I mean, 
you know, you enter into a contract, you're in sales, you know, you're not working for a social media company, you're not working for a, a bank who have huge balance sheets. Of, you know, the, the, the trouble with, with what we do is, you know, if you, you can, one theory is you back the people you have because the cost to replace people once the recession's over arguably is more than it is to keep people in your fault. No, we can work on this. We can do this. We can do this. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. It depends how long a recession is. It depends how much money you've got. You might have enough money for three months, six months. You might have a balance sheet from hell and you can do it for two years. It's, it does, it, you know, every single company is different in different What do you think is the sweet spot in terms of having enough cash, but not, not holding, not sitting on too much that you're not investing it and growing it? Well, I mean, an established company, and I'm talking, you know, seven to 10 year company, should have enough contractor base and enough firepower and be run efficiently enough with a decent balance sheet to be able to ride through any recession. Hmm. But a startup, naught to three, even five years, does not have that luxury. It just doesn't have it. You don't quite have enough contractors margin to cover your costs. That's, that's, that's where you get to. So you're relying on perm. And if perm goes, you run out of cash. What's your choice? You put more money in, you go get more investors, or do you cut costs to what your revenue is to try and even you don't care about making money, you just don't want to lose money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you lose cash fast when perm goes in a startup because it is your oxygen, and that's 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 the truth. That what, did you experience that? Yeah, I mean, we lost 800,000 quid wow. in three how months. Do you, how does that make you feel? Uh, poorer. <laughs> <laughs> True. But I don't think money's ever been your biggest worry. Or yeah. You'll work, you'll work yeah, it out, David. Yeah, but you have to put it into context. You know, if 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 a few months before you were making two hundred thousand quid a month, and then you go to losing two hundred thousand quid a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you're right size in the business. You're, I mean, we we you know we cut a million quid off the cost base immediately to to level the business to the place it should be, and then you trade out of it. You know, I mean, you, you don't actually have a choice. You have to. You know, either whether it's your money or investors' money, you have to go and work, make it work. Um, but the, but because I've been through it before, I know what happens at the other end. You know, if you get through it and you get with a core team and they're all really good recruiters, you can then build really quickly again and get back up to where you want to be against a backdrop of people who have lost their confidence. You know, because the, the other side of it is, is phenomenally lucrative. Um, where do you think we're at now? So you yeah, that's a really good question. We're now in. May, we're at end of May 23. So we're talking yep. about September, October, November, the set of four months. So yeah, the best part of 10 months here now. Eight, well, nine, I, think you, I think I think Jan, Feb were awful. Yeah. I think March was a real big improvement. We had a phenomenal March. April, I mean, in the UK, I mean, can we have any more bank holidays? I, know, I mean, I it's really like... Four day week, four day week. <laughs> I mean, and everyone takes their holidays. You get a load of holidays. Do you know when people do the whole like, because I started my business March the 1st. So we did that March to end of Feb for the first couple of years of uh, yeah. it's been our, 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 our revenue year. Yeah. And I fucking hate it every minute because you start the year in March and it's good. And then by the second month of the first quarter, <laughs> everyone's like, well, it's Easter now, buggering off. Well, you have you have you have good good months, you know, good quarter and bad quarter. Every quarter in recruitment, there's, there'll be a bad month. So mm. you know, any quarter. So March is always good. It's a long month. You get loads of contract revenue. You got lots of deals, lots of start dates for perm. It's great. April collapsed. 
Yeah. May looking okay. June looking amazing. You know, and ask a question. I don't know. I know it's not as bad as it was in Jan, but it's not as good as it was. I don't think it will be as good as it was last year in a frothy market. It's normalizing very slowly. And that that is where I think we are. But yeah, it's been it's it was short and sharp and been annoyingly long. Yeah. Well, the US I've had completely mixed reviews. Some people say yeah. the US has not felt it anywhere near, others have said it's been a lot harsher over there. Um I guess it depends what sector you're in. I mean, they could have done without a couple of big banks going down in California. Yeah, of course. Um, and the thing is, our sector is relatively protected because it doesn't really go through sort of cyclical recessions or, or boom and bust. However, it's all about confidence. And also, don't forget, people overhired last year. I mean, people hiring like crazy. And now they're digesting those hires. You know, projects don't stop. They get put on hold. In a bad tech recession, 2000. Everything stopped. This is not nothing stopping. It's just a, a bit more conservative. And I think that's the difference. Um, and I think people are just starting to get the confidence back. Or it could tip the other way. I mean, they're so fragile economies. Well, it's looking at your own business. The way you've made decisions is what your clients are doing, right? They're just protecting it's, their own cash. Well, it's they're not on effects, you know. Yeah. I mean, it definitely started with the tech companies shedding 250,000 jobs very quickly. And then everybody else says, what do they know that we don't know? You know, what's going on? This, you know, and, and then everyone just slows down and then they're slowing down. So recruitment companies slow down, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, when you add into things like, you know, cost of living crisis and, you know, inflation, yeah, there's some headwinds still in business, um, particularly in the UK and, and not so much in Europe. And, and America, it, did, it literally depends in what sector you are. Some sectors yeah. are good, but America is the most resilient country in the world for bouncing back because they're just so upbeat. You know, they don't suffer from like UK depression. <laughs> well, that's a, that is definitely <laughs> an issue over here right now. I mean, the weather's been good for the last week. But up until yeah, the I know. It's the sunshine. You do lots of deals, right? It's a real <laughs> record, mate. I mean, I was waking up thinking it's raining again, and I'm like, and you talk to someone and they're miserable, and you're like, oh bloody hell, come on, yeah. cheer up. Um, but no, you're right. How often have you? I'm, I'm actually going to New York next week, which I'm excited about. Oh, my I'm favorite going, city. I'm, I'm going to New York and then I'm going to Peru to customers. Nice, I've never been. My, uh, my, my brother's just had a baby in Peru. To Peru. He met a Peruvian woman in Costa Rica and he's had a baby. That's and right. so, Living the life. Can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited to go out there. What, um, how often are you in the US? How often are you going out to see Dan and the team? Uh, I've been out to LA once every three months. Right. Uh, I go out there. We're looking at opening a New York office, so we're working quite hard on trying to get that open. Um, we need to be in East Coast. We're looking at some other places in Europe. So, yeah, it's it's starting. It's more about planning a strategy now, getting the correct funding in place, and, and you know, starting to, to now think about the big build again, So which is why we committed to another uh, 60 graduates now in the next 12 months, building on our management team, getting everyone trained up, just sort of getting ready for growth again. So you feel like the 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 the, the, the biggest hit could have been had, and it's time. It's slowing down. I mean, you, you're not naive enough to know that to think it's done. But it, yes, no. You know, it could swing again. But the chances are we we could be slightly moving towards. Yeah, the, they tend yeah. not to last too long. I mean, you know, that they have a time limit. And there is a point where people do need to get going and hire again and start to, to, to get projects going. Otherwise, you, you, this is a sort of death spiral. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we're at that point. You know, there is a feeling that there is, you know, investment. 
there's projects, you know, at the end of the day, we're in life sciences, you know, we have, they have to develop drugs to make people live longer. You know, there is, there, you can't, and also you can't just stop clinical trials because, you know, so there, 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 there is business. What I'm trying to say is there is business. It's just, you have to work a lot harder to find it. And that is the problem with, with staff that have worked in a particularly good market. That was the turning point. It wasn't particularly the market. You can still, you know, you can still find business. It's just how willing you are to really get down to it. What what's your day to day like in London? Like, how are you? Have you changed at all in the since it's got a bit more difficult? I think I'm I'm more hands on. Yeah, I think I'm more in the detail of the business. I'm much more analytical. Um, but also, you know, I'm I'm I, I have to go out and raise money as well to 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 you know fund the growth. So you know, one hat is investors looking for you know a decent investor with a big enough. You know, deep in our pocket to put enough money in to say, okay, let's go and open 10 offices, let's get to 500 people, you know, it costs money. Um, and half of my job is to ensure that things like, you know, processes are correct, making sure that, you know, we are on top of every minutiae of the business to squeeze everything out of it, costs, revenue, clients, you know, there's a, there's a lot to do. And particularly in a market where, Maybe your management team, not your entire management team, isn't skilled in this particular market. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty full on. And how big is your management team now? We have nine managers now. Right, right. Um, in different levels of, of, of skill, two really good directors, great FD. You know, we got we got a fairly solid team. We do have a lot of people who, uh, who are inexperienced. And when you you know you talk about going out and raising money, yeah. Is that just for the speed of what you want to do? Because if you yeah, I mean, we don't we don't need to raise money, but it just accelerates growth. I mean, you know, most recruitment companies, I guess, just sort of take ten to twenty years to do what they need to do. If you're trying to compact it, trying to sort of be, you know, a fast growing recruitment company, you will eat money. So therefore, you, your choice is: do you bring in investors? Do you give them equity? You know, what's the mix of you know investors? You know. And, and, you know, going back to what we were talking about, my job is to create value for shareholders. And most of my staff are shareholders. I'm not doing it predominantly for me. I'm doing it for the good of the company. So all the decisions are made sometimes look harsh, but they are to protect the business, you know. And I think, you know, getting investors in, you know, how much equity do you want to give away? You know, what's the, how do you cut the deal? You know, what do you, what do you, you don't want to get raised too much that you don't need. You want to, don't want to raise too little that you can't, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky game, particularly now raising investment now when you're sort of flatlining a bit. It's not it's not not easy. People but want more. That the upside is now coming. That's that's the trick. People want a bigger piece of the pie, right? If it's like not a good time to sell equity. So, what is the future then? If you we're going to detail the ideal scenarios out of what yeah. you want, let's go into the minute. Well, it's fairly clear for us, you know, we're as a management team, we sat down, we put the strategy together, which is, you know, client strategy, which is really important because, you know, we have to, you have to ensure that, you know, you're not bunched up in one place because when the uh, recruitment recession hit September, October, we were a little bit bunched up in what's called CROs, which are the subcontracting companies to the big pharma companies. So we need to de-risk that now. You know, you have, you're looking at percentages across all of your little sectors within your main sector. So that's sort of strategy piece then you mesh over geographic so where are we going to work you know uk germany switzerland us and then you kind of mesh over your your, your academies and your management and once you've got all those three all together 
you kind of have your plan and your plan is is relatively you know bulletproof and you kind of stick to it so we've gone through that process rebudgeted as everyone has um and now ready for that next next push as a recruitment organization running payroll can be hard between pressure from worker volume and client demands plus the compliance risks and time lost to manual process back office teams it's all a struggle to help vincere our sponsor have teamed up with fast track to offer a seamless integration for recruitment and staffing organizations enabling better workflow between the front and back office this new integration automates time and pay interpretation with a built-in comprehensive rules engine that can interpret complex awards and agreements across Australia, New Zealand and the UK. The results are startling. You can reduce admin in your organisation by 85%. You can lower your per-cost timesheet and get paid faster. So, revolutionise your back office processes with the Vincere and Fast Track integration. Learn more at vincere.io forward slash rag. Right, let's get back into the show. So what, what what are you going to try and achieve? So you've got, at the moment, it's just London and LA, right? London and LA, uh, we will be opening in New York. We're going to open in Germany and Switzerland, Oxford, Cambridge, probably go down to Miami um, and maybe Boston, and that's it, yeah. Right. Why, Oxford, in, why Oxford and Cambridge? Uh, it's like a life science hub. They're investing, right. you know, 500 million quid in office space to do clinical trials and things. So it's a nice little, not big offices, like satellites. But it's where all the clients are if you want to client visits and, you know, sort of really getting getting deep, deep out of the skin of it. Right. And it wouldn't make sense to just serve that from London? Uh, you can. Um, but if you have a presence there, I mean, if you go back way back to Huntress days, you know, we had 27 offices all around the M25. Yeah. If you're there... You, you definitely get more business out of them because you're sort of very client-facing. And also you find people who live there. You know, it's cheaper to live in London. In London, you know, it's a nice nice pace of life. You know, you, you do find people who want to live in those places because London's becoming you know, prohibitively expensive to, to work and live in. No, 100%. 100%. 100%. Um, so, again, you're leaning heavily in the UK yep. and US and Europe. Are you not, not going to look at the Far East? Is there nothing out in uh, Asia? No, uh, I think, I think, you know, if we do some kind of private equity deal or even a trade deal, I think we'd leave that for the next investor to go. I mean, I did I did uh, Far East, as you know, with Spencer Ogden, and we opened Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, two offices in Australia, uh, Indonesia. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's not a massive life science hub over there, to be honest with you. No. What about in the Middle East? I would have thought there'd be quite a lot. Or in uh, I'm not a massive fan of doing business in the Middle East. No. Uh, I had a Dubai office for many years and couldn't really make it work. Right. Even though we're in oil and gas, rather ironically, uh, yeah, not not a massive fan. Where we are are the main hubs anyway in life sciences. I mean, you, you, if you conquer those, you know, you get to 500, 700 recruiters in those markets. You know, then yes, you 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 know, you move out. <clears throat> when do you when do you want to be at that point where you're saying you're like? Well, as I say, it sort of puts back a year, so I guess it's another four years because it was you know, four years minus one. <laughs> <laughs> you, it takes four years. you get to four years you're at that point what what does that mean for you personally well i think so i keep sort of trying to explain that that deal is predominantly um my deal and a bit of their deal but the next deal is their deal so if i explain private because comes in they value the business for x i'm the majority shareholder but the staff have a really good shareholding yeah. 
private equity companies are brilliant the way they construct it. So basically, I'm, I'm, they don't want me around. I'm too expensive. I'm too old. And they, they're sort of, you know, well done, pat me on the back and you know, done, did a great job in the startup. But we've grown up to run the company now. Um, and then the management team then get given free equity in the new vehicle. And the next right. deal is their deal. So they might make, you know, a million quid in this deal, but they could make 10 million in the next deal. And that's the game. You know, and they're all, you know, 30 to 35. I'm 52. So, you know, their deal is next one but they'll get some decent you know so it just keeps going a deal is not the end a deal is almost the start for many people well, let's say you get to 55 56 <laughs> and you do this deal what what then though i don't believe you're done i don't think you're sitting in your <laughs> i don't think you're in a beat there and just chilling i would out. like a life by the way <laughs> i don't think you i think you're too energy energetic dave i think you might energy. take it might take seven years. It might take ten years. You know, you only do a deal because you've got pressure for everybody that wants to do a deal. I couldn't care unless we sell the company. I'd like to. I'd like the staff to get something decent out of it. I'd like to get some money out of it. But for me, you know, it, it, when a business gets bigger and you make lots of money in it, you can do really cool things with it. You know, it's a great. I'm not. I'm not in any desperate need. However, you know, my life has changed. I've, I have a new partner. I have a new life. I wouldn't mind spending a bit more time. You know, I spent 25 years at the coalface driving two businesses to 100 million. Yeah. This is my third. You know, it, it's sort of, it's, it's pretty taxing. I think you'll, I think you'll. I don't know anything else, by the way. I have no hobbies. <laughs> I was at an event with Russell Clements on Friday. Who's probably, who's coming in to, he's going to come on the show. Oh, I like Russell. He's really yeah. good. But again, I mean, he lives, he's got a place in Ibiza like you and he's got, you know, he's got London and, and Suffolk, I think he said. Um, yeah. And he's coming on soon. But again, you can tell he's still interested. He's still, in, he's got, you know, he's investing in, you know, rec tech and, yeah. you know, he probably doesn't work, he doesn't work full time in any way. But no, he, I mean, you know, you end up becoming invested, you know. Yeah. The other side of, the recruitment cycle is that you sort of invest in bright young things, you know, and uh, you know there's a, there, there is that avenue. I mean, you don't, don't just stop, as you say, and go and you know, <clears throat> see in your house in Ibiza. You, you, the opportunity arises, you know. I mean, look at AI. You know, what a great opportunity to see what impact that might have in recruitment. You know, we're at the forefront of you know chatbot and. You know, we're looking at how it can sort of, you know, strip a CV, put it into a nice content, content to send to a client. I mean, you know, there's stuff that's coming through that is, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, that's that's that would be very interesting to see how that manifests itself in recruitment. Are you looking at that now in terms of what you can? Yeah, do? Yeah. yeah, I think it'd be sort of silly not to really. It's, I mean, at the minute, it's fairly rudimentary. It will sort of help you do certain things, but as it speeds up and gets exponentially brighter. Um, you know, it could, it could, it's either going to be a help or a massive danger. I think, I think now it's a help. <clears throat> yeah, I think there's, a, there's a bit of a worry coming in, in the future. I think not, not for a long time. I mean, I watched a video the other day about um, how they brought back Kanye. Well, they put Kanye West on a track now that he was yeah. not involved in, so they can take your voice, they can sample your voice, they can type a script, they can anyone can just read the script and then they'll overplay it with someone else's voice. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought, fuck. If, so they're going to bring back, they reckon there'll be new albums for like Luther Vandross and Whitney Houston. People that are dead are going to bring out new albums, well, right? That's the fun stuff, right? The dark side of it is, are we the most stupid race in, in, in eternity to create something smarter than us? Well, probably, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's fundamentally like pretty, pretty idiotic to create something so much faster and smarter than us that it will leave us, 
you know, just for dead. I mean, yeah. you know, as it gets, I mean, imagine, you know, imagine if you could actually absorb the entire of Google and compute it and use that as, as, a, as a weapon. I mean, we're finished. <laughs> I mean, once it gets to that point, what do you right. need biological humans right. for? <laughs> well, I think like the next phase will be things like, you know, how much of a recruiter's job will be done by, by AI. I mean, I don't think it'll ever take over fully unless the jobs are done by AI as well. Let's say, you know, if you... Well, I've a- always said, you know, technology will basically be able to do um, very simple matching and very simple... Um, it will be, you know, uh, sad to say, but, you know, when they talk about 300 million jobs lost in the world, it's effectively jobs that computers or, or robots or AI can do. Can they do complex negotiation, nuances in, in, in body language? No. May they in the future? Probably. But right yeah. now, if you have a very well-paid, very technical job that requires not just a technical ability, but human inter- interaction, and you've got an agent that has to negotiate the complexities of that, and, you know, no, I'd say. No, but agree. if you're looking for a programmer who just programs a certain code and no cares what they look like what they talk like or what they are probably yes yeah, fundamentally yeah. so ai will have its part and i think you're right it'll be ai to ai first and then it'll just sort of grow from there but yeah. you know yeah I, I think it's a threat i do think it's a threat it's something to think about isn't it and stay abreast yeah. of i think one thing i got from the room because it was all about ai on friday it was at the power yeah. hive event in manchester it was great right. um, but I did feel a bit of fear in the room. Like the more you talk about it, the more you see people's eyes just fill with a bit of like dread and you're like... This... Yeah, but I mean, even the smartest people on the planet doesn't know what it's doing. I mean, that's mm. the terrifying bit. They're creating something they don't understand and that is just not cool. You know, uh, you hope governments will bring something in that, that will sort of control it, but I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's probably the biggest existential threat to humanity ever. No, but it could be good. So. You know, who knows? Might, might improve our lives. We'll see. Hopefully you'll have done the deal by then anyway. So, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be sipping sangria on, uh, on uh, I don't know, Santa Eulalia. <laughs> or investing in AI, who knows? <laughs> so right now, if we summarise the conversation, right yep. now the signs are, are normalising and slightly improving. Going back, since we last had the first interview the reality is it has been a difficult time. I think most yeah, people, very challenging. I yeah. think it's what's been really refreshing about this, David, is, look, I think one of the themes from a lot of the episodes with people like yourself is that grow, 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 right? And it's all about, yeah. you know, some high growth stories and the exits and the hundred millions and all that. It's brilliant. But it's not it's not always common to get someone come on and go, it's been fucking hard, right? We've, had, yeah. <laughs> we've yeah. done things at the wrong time. So people need to know that, that we're all in the same boat. You know, every right. single recruitment company in the world, bar none, has had a challenging six months. Yeah. And they might tell you they haven't, but they're lying. They have. You know, fundamentally, post-COVID, overhiring, and there's been a, a sequence of events that have mean people have been much, much more conservative about their hiring. And actually, everyone, you know, as long as you realise it, I mean, part of, part of the best thing about it is, is understanding it and seeing how your business can improve as a result of it. But to deny it is the worst thing you can do. You know what? It's been tough, really tough, really, really, really hard work. However, yes, normalizing, getting back to it, and the trick is not to lose your confidence on the way out. Um, That's my final question then. For anyone who's going through this in this, how do you stay positive? And confident and calm and not succumb to it like, especially when you're losing 
you know, yeah. I don't know if it's 1,000, 100,000, 200,000, it doesn't matter. When you're losing money, you've got people that are worried, you've got, un, you've got an unhappy chip, you've got client yeah. demand dropping. How yeah. do you, what do you, can you do? Or what, what you do you to, do personally to stay in the same mindset or in a, in a fighter mindset? You draw from an enormous pool deep down inside you to ensure that you keep confidence in the market. You make sure your team have confidence while you're making decisions that they don't like. It's very tough. It's easy to run a recruitment company on the way up. Everyone's got the culture's great. Everyone's happy. You're going to be there. Everyone's great. Everyone's making money. This is the time when you see how good you are. You see how good your staff are and you see how good you are because you are coming into work. And you are basically saying it's really tough, but we need to, you know, work as a team and we need to see the positivity in this, not the negativity. Otherwise, we're all going to drag ourselves down. And you find individuals within your team, you find individuals on your sales floor, you find it from yourself and you're grouping together and you recreate that kind of culture. But it is not easy. It's one of the most challenging things in the last 25 years I've ever done. Yeah. is when you get to this point. Happened to Spencer Ogden when the oil price crashed. You know, we lost 100 people in three months. Wow. But then we re, re, you know, did the business across other sectors and engineering. My God, that was the toughest thing I've ever done. And this is challenging. But I do feel we are seeing, you know, some, some shiny lights coming up, which is good. But it's been, it's been a dredge, to be honest. It's been boring. I get it. I get it. But it can't all be grow, grow, grow. It has to be. This is the reality of being a business owner. David. The good thing is, the good thing is, recessions only happen once every sort of five to seven years. So it's good to get it out of the way. I wouldn't yeah. have liked to have gone into this when you're trying to sell the business or raise, you know, this is, this is, once you get it out of the way, it's done. You know, you've got another five yeah. years straight, straight ahead. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Eh? Let's hope we're, we're on the way out of this. David. So. Thanks so much for your time, mate. You're a busy man. Really appreciate you taking the time for us. If anyone does want to reach out, dropping you a LinkedIn or dropping you an email, um, is that okay? If they want, if they want, yeah, to okay. yeah, happy to help. Yeah, you're a star, David. Catch up soon. Okay, right, okay. Thanks, Thanks, sure. take care. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode is brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2000 recruiters right now both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level, individual recruiters in your businesses, how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves. That's how to produce content. That's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn. I would love to talk to you. I'll see you soon.